And yes, and at the same time, if I type in, you know, Call of Duty, whatever, wherever we're at at this point, shock and awe. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good Call of Duty. The have you seen what these video games? Call video, gonna, of Duty, shock and awe. Yeah, I know. It's just a drone uh, pilot. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a, a guy in a room in a trailer in up. Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is the tech industry. Hey, Rich. Yes. I got a big idea for you. Ready? Yeah. YouTube. Okay. You know, you'll be watching like uh, somebody's making a cake and you're like, ah, fondant. That's crazy. You can make a cake that looks like a, like a school book for back to school. Yeah. And then you look over to the right and there's, it's like more cakes, you know, or like Egyptian bakeries. And you're like, oh, that's wild. And then like two clicks in, it's suddenly just Hitler speeches. Now, is this real? Yeah. See, I have not had this happen to me. Maybe because I subconsciously avoided Hitler speeches. But. Well, you know what it is? No, no. I think it's more like it, it's actually video games are the gateway. So it's like, you know, somebody's playing Mario Kart and you're like, right. oh, and then you click once and then it's like. Also, video games are about killing and guns, right? And I mean, territory. territory and, yeah. yeah. So it's very, but it, it gets very master race very okay. quick. All right. So YouTube. wait, let's, we're talking about this kind of casually as this sort of quirk in YouTube, but this is a big issue right now. Yeah, no, like, the way Give that, a little background here. Well, we're living in a world in which radicalization and like white supremacy is yielding school shootings. And there's a, a real sense and a document. And then also sort of like, you know, Brazil has gone very far right. And there people have pointed to, the, to YouTube and said like, yeah, here's how that happened. Mm -hmm. So here's my question. You're a lawyer. I am. Yep. Why can't we have a class action lawsuit? Why can't people who have lost people in mass shootings that have been, you know, caused by YouTube radicalization, and maybe it's not just YouTube, but let's stay focused on one thing. Why can't they sue uh, in a class action lawsuit and say, look at what you've done to our culture. Look at what you've done to the world. Okay, now let's back up. Who is they? Well, I, you know, this is tricky. Like, who's got the damages? I mean, it's people who've lost loved ones in, in shootings from people who've been radicalized and were big YouTube contributors. At one point, there was that person running around with a gun at YouTube itself. That was bad. So I don't know, YouTube could sue itself. There's the entire country of Brazil. So there's lots of people who could claim that people who were radicalized by clicking that third link caused their lives untold damage. Okay, so you've got a couple of problems here. And I, let me disclaim, I'm not a practicing class action attorney. I just know the sort of the high level concepts. So a class action suit is a suit you can bring on behalf of an absent party. In essence, you're saying, I am representing a particular cohort of people that fit a certain set of criteria that establishes a class. Okay, so I thought that I was taking aller they thought they were taking allergy medicine. Now they all have extra hands growing out of their chests. On behalf of all consumers who have purchased Benadryl Xtreme or whatever it's <laughs> and called. now have that third hand between their two yes, nipples. Yeah. I'm bringing action. And then there's this whole set of machinery that kicks in because it does make push-ups easier. Uh, that third hand? Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. The machinery around a class action is interesting in that you have to define that group. Mm -hmm. And then there's this communication opportunity. This is opportunity to jump on. So this, oh, this is where you letter go. goes out and say, hey, did you ever buy Benadryl Extreme? <laughs> Come on and you can join this class action suit. Right. And, and then, then there's always that website like 
Benadryl extreme facts. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't bring a class action suit on, well, you can bring any suit. Let's back up. It's If somebody's feeling really aggressive, they can sue you. So I have to establish a class, and this is a very complicated, this is a deep, deep hole. So right? like establishing a class is a whole thing unto itself. I can't say I am suing you on behalf of the citizens of Brazil. Okay. No, not, no, I mean, that's not going to work. Obviously, right? right? But but okay. Okay. So this is important. I, it's very easy if you can establish that I bought your product and your product had a design defect that caused me harm. That's a very nice criteria to carve out a set of requirements around you joining that class. Oh my God. So what we're really saying here is that if I sold you a gun as a school shooter and it blew your arm off and that just kept happening to all the school shooters, the school shooters would form a class. That's a compelling argument. <laughs> but the people a, a, who a are faulty being, weapon. But the people who are being killed don't form a class in the same way. They don't. They I'm going to throw America out the window right now. Yeah. I'm very frustrated. Yeah. Well, you're bringing up a great point, right? Which is the the ultimate class action, the ultimate ability to make change happen in a sweeping way, is call your congressman. Right. 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 The, the courts are really not designed for that kind of sort of sweeping level of change, which you're starting to hearing rumblings now, right? Interesting. They're, so if I want to change YouTube, the actual mechanism available to me, because you've got freedom of speech in there. You've mm-hmm. got, I mean, you've got all sorts of stuff like yes, being able to say, this is a radicalization engine. We need to unwind it, shut it down mm-hmm. or give the people Google. You now owe all the victims of radicalized YouTube fans. You owe them $10 billion. Yeah. That's going to be basically impossible. It's a t- it's tough. Well, or it would have happened. I mean, it's these tough. are ripe plums to pluck, right? Yeah, like, because what you're doing is you're using the courts to sort of push policy agenda across a huge swaths of population. A better example, like if I subscribe to YouTube Premium and one of the things they guaranteed to me was that adult content would be shielded from my kids and their algorithms put adult content in front of my children, then I say, I am suing uh, YouTube and Google on behalf of all paying subscribers Mm, of YouTube premium. Paying subscribers. Well, it doesn't have to be paying, but it has to be some, you have to have some way. Uh, Citizens of Flint, Michigan, who are drinking bad water is arguably another way of, of clearly carving out. You can't sue on behalf of America. Okay, unfortunately. I'm sorry, unfortunately. Well, I mean, that's what that's what elections are for. That's what elections are for. That's how change happens. But wait, hold on, hold on. So does free matter here? Like like the fact that YouTube is is giving me access, you know, kind of in exchange for my attention and advertising time. But, but for the, I don't pay YouTube anything. A really good legal team could put together a class action suit on behalf of users of YouTube who have signed their terms of service. You could do it. I mean, it's not unreasonable. I don't know if that's how you'd want to go about it. A lot of times what they do is they don't bother with the class action because case precedent actually has weight. So if I sue YouTube for something that happened to me, forget the class action. All right. So, you know, let's let's do a Google search, right? Okay. Okay. YouTube class action. What do we find? Okay. So there is a class action lawsuit recently filed, the LGBTQ creators accuse YouTube of discrimination in class action lawsuit alleging it unfairly restricts and demonetizes queer content. Uh, See, this is interesting, right? Because now you're back to the, so the legacy of YouTube was, hey, put everything up. It's cool. And then copyright holders said, it's not cool at all. And then Google started to work out deals with everybody. 
Yes. And so then yes. you have this system for sort of like some content gets blocked, some content gets monetized, some, you know, there's sort of... Anybody can make money with their content on YouTube. They've done a good job establishing a monetization platform. That's so right. if you've got something that can get views, you can make money because yeah. they'll put Advil or whatever in the beginning of the ad. So there's all these like systems for managing around copyright. That was the great crisis of like 2008, 2000, you know, like that mm -hmm. was when... As this thing exploded, that's what everybody was worried about. They yes. weren't worried about, and then it was sort of like, what are we going to recommend to people to keep them engaged in watching video? Now we're on the other side. You have a community of creators who are saying, whatever the hell you're doing, it is keeping us from being successful. You're, yep. you're seeing us as pornographic or dangerous yep. or difficult. Let's not gloss over us here, which is, they, they, there is, again, establishing who the class is, which is LGBTQ creators who right. have put their content on YouTube. Who are expecting monetization. Yeah, but again, to contrast that with America and what's no, happening to America, here you have a very clearly defined set of criteria to join this class action suit. And you can point and say, here are my damages. I was expecting to make this money. Correct. And I entered into a contract with YouTube when I went in with the terms of service. But because of my gender identity, you have kept me from achieving any of those goals. Yes. The real crux of this lawsuit, as I'm kind of glancing at it, is that a lot of the queer content is being deemed as shocking or sexually explicit. Sure. And so as a result, they're taking it down. And therefore, I can't make money on a video that's been taken down because you have categorized it as shocking and sexually explicit. And meanwhile, the boundaries of the queer community as to what shock, I mean, basically what they're talking about here is that queerness over the last, you know, X thousand years has been seen as shocking. Not only that, and this is why, I, this is kind of the point of this suit is my guess. This is partly about money and partly about the fact that they don't like hate groups are thriving on YouTube. Yeah, no, I And think, you've decided my, my well, LB. Also, here's this Bay Area like progressive company, Google, you know, Google, if there's anything that like, the West Coast is really funny because yeah. it's like, hey, you know, absolutely we'll do AI for drones, but we're incredibly queer friendly. And, and sort of like, yeah. that paradox is really tricky for people. Like, a good example, Microsoft has been one of the most most progressive about, you know, respecting gay marriage and respecting gay relationships mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. providing benefits to people, right? But then it's it's Microsoft and it, it, it kind of, it sells Microsoft Word to everybody and that gets tricky, right? Yeah. And so like, so you've right. got, they're putting- The Department of Defense is using Microsoft. Exactly. People at Google don't want to look like they're oppressing LGBTQ folks. They're no, gonna, they're gonna no, get them that way you can't put You can't put pornographic videos on YouTube. Yeah, right. I think everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Look, there's plenty of everything on YouTube, and it gets into And so this it, it picked this one class of everything and said, that's too much. Yeah. And the people who created it went, hold on a minute. That is an unfair way to classify us. We're a little nervous about classification in the first place. Yeah. And you have gone and made decisions about what's appropriate, kind of without consulting or respecting this community and its norms. And yes. And, and at the same time, if I type in you know, Call of Duty, whatever, wherever we're at at this point, shock and awe. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good Call of Duty. The, have you seen what these video games... Video, Call of Duty, shock and awe. Yeah, I know. It's just a drone uh, pilot. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a, a guy in a room. In a trailer in up. Vegas, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the tech industry. Dude, have you seen... I mean, the graphic quality of video games is not graphics anymore. It oh, looks... This was, no, look, I have a seven-year-old boy. 
It is graphically violent. We pulled our kids uh, off on YouTube. They're not allowed. I mean, it. it's I mean, it's a video game, and this is another tricky one, right? Because everybody wants this one both ways. This one's very tricky for me because when you work in media, you are desperately trying to affect change in the world. You're trying to get ideas out there so that people can share them mm -hmm. and connect to them and identify. Also, Except to expose really bad things. That's right. Except with video games, which somehow can show you repeatedly murdering everybody, but that's just fun. Well, that's the thing. It's gotten to that point, right? right. And, and the truth is, you know, that is media, by the way. You know, it's I wild. mean, a great expose yeah. of a terrible treatment of people in some country is media, but mm -hmm. so is Call of Duty shock and awe. That's right. I mean, they're media. I mean, and YouTube views them as such, but has to apply different rules. I mean, if there is a... The best part of Call of Duty shock and awe is when you just throw a shoe at George W. Bush... <laughs> and if you can get him right between the eyes it's a mini game if you in can the get game. him right between the eyes you go to Abu Ghraib for like five years <laughs> well Rich it's that time again uh oh it's time to say hello Postlight when we talk to a person who works at Postlight I love this segment it's becoming one of my favorites. Who do we have today, Paul? Well, you know, let's let him tell us. Can you give us your, your name and what you do here? My name is John Holden. I'm a lead engineer here. Where'd you grow up, John? I was born on Long Island, uh, moved around as a kid to Connecticut and Ohio, and then California for a while. But I've been back in New York in the city for about 10 years now. Where'd you go to school, college? Um, I went to NYU. Uh, I studied oh, okay. playwriting for three semesters and then uh, dropped out, okay. and that's it. <laughs> okay, so self-taught engineer. Yeah, I started, I was aware of the internet and had access to the internet uh, as a kid in like the late 90s when there wasn't a ton to know, which was really lucky and convenient for me. I was able to grasp it in a way that I, there was it was very low stakes, and so I just kind of like, I grew with the web as it matured and ended up. It's not. Don't you feel lucky? I feel extremely lucky. Yeah, I got to play at that moment in time. Everything is so hermetically sealed now. Yeah, I feel like if I were coming into this now, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. I think it's there's such a. I don't you, think I'd be in tech. Yeah. Yeah. I might not have been in tech. It's just because you can't get in anymore. So you okay. kept going. Yeah, I tried a lot of different things in terms of programming. I try. I did a lot of Flash for a while. I tried to learn Java. I tried to learn C. But the stuff that really stuck with me was HTML and then a little bit of JavaScript. But really just putting stuff on the web was what was most like satisfying and exciting to me. There's nothing better. Actually, to that end, Postlight has a thing called Postlight Labs, where mm -hmm. we encourage people and give them time to develop ideas. Mm -hmm. Not we're you know we're a small agency. It's not like years, but it's some time. And you built something um, really interesting and really compelling that I, I want you to talk about a little bit called Trimmings. Yeah. Why was Trimmings created? Yeah, Trimmings was created as so. I think there's a theme throughout a lot of my career as an engineer where. I've been on teams that were writing a lot of JavaScript and getting not a lot out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I saw uh, just so much time being spent on trying to keep things current or even just maintain things and just not things that had nothing to do with what we were trying to solve as a company or as an organization. And so much of it seemed really removed from that stuff that I had learned for just like, we weren't focused on putting stuff in front of people. We were focused on writing JavaScript. This is really like JavaScript moves very, very quickly. And it's, it, was, it kind of has messy roots. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it comes out of a lot of open source and, you know, the, the node ecosystem comes out of like something that was grafted out of Google. And so mm -hmm. 
So it just sort of feels like once you stand up a JavaScript project, you will be maintaining that for two thirds of your remaining programming time. Like yeah. there'll be a security problem and then there'll be a new feature and somebody will update one little part and then the rest of it has to get updated. And so on. so this, is that a little bit about what you're talking about? Or? Yeah. And I think also like in contrast, HTML, HTML has changed a lot in the 20 plus years that it's been like usable. It's more than 20 years, but uh, it still looks like HTML. It's yeah, it's still like there's new, there's new elements, but it's still, it all works the same way. You write out some, some stuff and it's just like a nest of tags and it just works. Like it's stable and it's designed to be fault tolerant in a way that JavaScript never could. No, be. that first goofy web page from the 90s still opens. Yeah, it does. Okay, so this is the world we're in, and then you took some time and built a thing called Trimmings. What does that do? Yeah, Trimmings gets you a lot of the stuff that people, in my experience, when I've tried to get people to write less JavaScript or try to convince my teams that we didn't need to use client-side JavaScript so much, the arguments were always, well, we need fast page loads, we need animations, we need transitions. There's all these sorts of interaction things that you really can only get with JavaScript, but... Uh, what Trimmings tries to do is allow you to get those interaction-based benefits from JavaScript without having to write JavaScript. So there's just a sort of static library that you can include and then just add some hints to your HTML that just allow you to load things into your page without a full reload or toggle classes when you click a button and get those sort of basic things, kind of like what jQuery, I think, wanted or started out as doing. So the, instead of these big component frameworks, just take the HTML and add, make it a little more app-like. Yeah. But still regular old HTML. Exactly. So yeah. easy to learn. Yeah, it's and it's also it it kind of gets back to the ability to uh, view source, which is like that's how I learned. I learned by looking at what other people were doing and and copying them, and you can get that with with open source or tools like Glitch that allow you to really interact with the application. But you can't just go to a website that you think is cool and really deconstruct it and figure out how it was made right now. And so this is something that. Uh, the idea is you can, because you're just writing all the stuff that's being served as it is without any kind of transformation, it's easier to see why things are happening the way they're happening and then do those things yourself. I mean, he's bringing up a good point, which is, I mean, a view source has been a huge part of my life <laughs> for like the last 20 years. And the wall's just getting higher and higher and higher. Well, Viewing no, source today You don't is, view source. You inspect one element. You inspect mm -hmm. one element, and then and you kind of walk back if you need to to really see what's up. Well, right? and then there's like five skyscrapers hanging off of that element. Exactly, you know, exactly. You, like it's, it's like you got to figure out the CSS. Everything's yeah. like 50 layers deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, if people want to look at trimmings, what do they do? Go to postlight.com. There'll be a, a link there. There'll be some very pretty graphics there and some good documentation on what this thing is and how you can use it. We have an excellent search functionality. Yes. <laughs> Let's depart from your professional life for a second. Sure. John, uh, what else do you do for fun? So the things I love about what I do for work all sort of relate to structure and hierarchy and, and form, putting things into to boxes and then putting those boxes together. And I discovered over the years that a way that something that lights my brain up in the same way, but in but with a very different set of skills, is uh, designing experiences, designing what I call themed attractions. So in my spare time, I uh, I build these immersive pop-up walkthroughs that are like like a theme park ride, like a um, like an art exhibit, like a like an Instagram museum kind of installation. But the idea is I'm I'm telling a story by traversing through a space. 
Give us an example of the most recent one. The most recent one, uh, it was a story called Bobby's Birthday. It's a story about a dog and a cat who are roommates. And one morning the dog wakes up and realizes that it's the cat's birthday and runs around town planning a last minute surprise party. So and I go I go to an, <laughs> I go to a place yes. to celebrate Bobby's birthday in quotes. Yeah. I give you some money. Um, yeah, if you want to. Okay, I'd, I'd like to. Okay, sure. thank you. And, uh, <laughs> That's I'm, very nice of you. <laughs> I'm there. There's probably a few other people. Yeah. Okay. What ha- what am I looking at? What happened? Yeah. So in this one, uh, everyone I've done, I've done three real ones so far and planned out many more. And they've all been a little different. This one was presented through five sort of nearly life-size dioramas that were uh, just layers of colored plywood, painted plywood that uh, are almost like a pop-up book. But rather than being a book you hold in your hands, it's a like two foot wide thing mounted to a wall. And they're mounted in a series throughout this little art gallery. So you start at one end of the room and move to the other. And as you do that, you're sort of following the path that the dog was following by running around town and, and getting everything ready for this party. We have to go to one. I mean, and this is this is fascinating to me because I've now in this conversation, I'm seeing the dotted line between mm-hmm. you as an engineer and you as someone that's interested in this kind of world creation. Yeah. Engineering, a lot of it is world creation. Yeah. It's you're creating these experiences. Anything interesting? I mean, you could have just written children's books, John. Like you went for the whole thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, it really is like, there's part of me that wants to tell a story and evoke a mood, but part of me also just wants to, in some ways, the story is the excuse for building the thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm so mm-hmm. interested in the form and just as an artistic medium, I find these spatial experiences just so fascinating. Ultimately, I think if there were more of them in the world, I might feel less compelled to build them because then I could just yeah. go to them. But I go to Disneyland a couple of times a year and it's not enough. So I got to make my own. <laughs> no. Yeah. We've talked about to others about who are finding inspiration in the things they like enjoy mm-hmm. and care about and how it sort of fuels a lot of their professional thinking and problem solving and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Do you see that to be the case for you? Or is it you see a wall between like going to work and this sort of no, stuff th- you do in your free time? I think it's related. And I think even like going back to trimmings, like part of the inspiration for building that library is that most of the problems that I've been solving in my career are not really technology problems. They're like questions that are being answered with technology, but the things that are being done have very little to do with the fact that it's this right. language or that language. And I think so much of what I think brings me success or makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing in my day-to-day work is in not thinking about the the code or the the programming, but thinking about what what am I trying to accomplish and then trying to get to that. All right, good. So is there a, a site for people to learn about the theme park yeah. stuff? Yeah, I have a little company. I call it Variable Stage. Mm-hmm. They can go to variablestage.com and see what I've done and what's coming up next. Great. Can't ask for more than that. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you, John, for Thank doing you. this. Thank Interesting yeah, angles. Fun. That was Hello Postlight. You got to meet John Holden, a lead engineer here. If you'd like to work with people like John, you'd be very, very lucky. We're lucky. And you can send an email to hello at postlight.com and let us know what's up. Also, if you want to talk to him, we'll forward it along if it's appropriate. Rich, any other questions? No, any that's thoughts? it. This was great. All right. Let's get back to work. I guess I guess what I'm getting at is it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to delineate. But at the same time, I think they're coming to terms with the fact that they're going to have to, right? If I if there is a great 10-minute sort of New York Times expose on the beheading of a journalist, horrible story, 
there's footage that came out. It's blurred out. It's graphic. The descriptions are it's, graphic. I mean, the you could easily thing. fall under those criteria of like we can't we can't put this up. But that is an important piece of journalism that's making its way out. There, well, right? and then there's always a lot of little exceptions that way, right? Well, that's I mean, the problem. The archetypal exception right now is that they they're, they're essentially you know Twitter has created the political loophole where like if you're a leader of a certain like Trump. Is or, that true? Is that in yeah. there? Is that in their criteria? From what I understand, yes. There's now okay. like an understanding that, you know, if it's Trump, it's going to go. Like, we're just going to let it. Or prime minister of any country. What right? are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, are you going to then be in the business of censoring national leaders? Like, we've talked right. about this. Yeah. There was a point, I think, early on where Twitter could have made a stand. But once the guy is the president of the United States, then you're in a position that's kind of untenable either way. You're just going to have to throw your hands up and say, we lost this one. Our rules don't apply to this specific class of humans. And yeah. I, I sort of feel that on the other side... You know, if the Washington Post blurs out a journalist beheading or cuts away at a certain time, it's content that otherwise would be like on live leak. But if it's been through that editorial process, it's more likely that it's almost like everyone just kind of says, yeah, but this is the exception. This is the exception that proves yeah. the rule. I think this is proving out how hard this is. Oh, God. Oh, I mean, is this so is where hard. we come back to. Look, I mean, I would say probably three quarters of the podcast where we talk about cultural issues we essentially end up going, this will be the job of government in the future to create regulatory frameworks that people can comply with. And it I seems think that's probably right. It seems complicated and impossible right now, but this is literally the job of government. And you've got the whole like Bay Area just asking questions, libertarian like industrial complex. Yeah. Going, now now regulation will will destroy innovation. But it's like I, where's the innovation right now? Yeah. Like Facebook's gonna buy another chat company? Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean like I don't if if you could and show there's me, harm. There's real harm. There's real harm. Right? I'm looking at TikTok and it's all sweet little teenagers, and I just want to help them because they're literally all singing about how they're depressed. Is that what TikTok is? There's a lot of depressed teens on TikTok. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, I mean it's a it's ugly right now. The world is kind of ugly. And well, I don't think the world's necessarily uglier than it. I mean, it's certainly no uglier than it was between 1939 and 1944. Can tech solve this? No, tech is tech is just another freaking thing, right? I love it. I love it. Tech humans. Uh, hu democracy is a good organizing technology for figuring out how to guide a nation state, right? Facebook is not. I'm gonna I'm gonna counter argue here. Have huh? you seen Full House of Mustaches? I have. It is really good. It, it, they took the Full House introduction with like the Olsen uh, twins. Yeah. What's that song? Uh, it's the Full House. Na, 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 and they go. put Nick Offerman's face from Parks and Recreation. On all of them. On every, on the kids, on, on the Bob babies, Saget, on yeah. everybody. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of deep fakes kind of, I will if allow. If we can do that. No, no, no. That's I'm not done with my oh, okay. my counter okay. argument here. Because <laughs> I was actually willing to accept, like, all right, well, maybe <laughs> maybe, House maybe tech is great. Full House of Mustaches <laughs> does justify Brazil's incredible far right implosion. Um, no, but I mean, we're good at computers, man. We are. I think that you know, it's funny too. I, we're going to hit the limits of like deep learning relatively soon. I can kind of feel it in my bones. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's going to, it's like the web, like it's going to be around and it's going to be a big deal and it's going to be, but like, I'm not seeing the incredible, there was a period of like four years of unbelievable acceleration where it was like, Hey, check this out. We'll draw a cat for you. That pace is slowing down. Is that true? Yeah. Honestly, it's about the data sets. Like what other data do they have? Anyway, right, that's right. We're kind no, of no, but look, I guess what I'm trying to say is 
you know, we're doing some amazing things. We're going to keep doing some amazing things. Is there a way to really understand and find out the sort of, if this is coming down to intent? Like there's patterns I'd be looking for that would show me, you know, Google buying the, you know, this and that and, and Facebook buying this and that. And I think there's some of that going on. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is solvable. I, it probably isn't. I mean, this is about inferring intent and it's an arms race, right, between brains on both sides. Can a piece of software infer intent? If I'm putting up my really cool run on Call of Duty, I'm just showing other video game people how good I am at a game. Yeah. If I'm putting up something that's there to like dial up hate amongst the population, then my intent is really the distinguishing factor Look, here. Look, I mean, right? you know, highways are, are really useful for getting from point A to point B. What do you do when you put a highway on a cliff? What do you put on the right side where the cliff is? Rails? Exactly. What we have are no rails. We're just building So your read is, it's, I'm thinking this can be solved post-submission. And you're saying, no way. The rails have to be there. You can't submit well, it. Well, humans are, are banana cakes, so you got to do both. Some people will be like, rails, let's go hit the gas pedal. You know, and that's that's, okay. that's where you get your four chance and your eight chance. Which you have now, I think. I'm sure there's some great tech right now that's blocking really obviously stupid, bad things. Yeah, the great tech is called like 500 people in the Philippines. That's real, right? Yeah. I mean, is that true? When yeah. I upload a video, is it going to the Philippines or wherever? I'm assuming it's got to get flagged. Like, I'm assuming a button gets hit. Because even there, the scope is too crazy, right? So you're, It's impossible. You're, it's like millions of, no, every hour. Lifetimes of video every hour, right? And yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. You, you got to think, like, how could, you, how could you say this should probably be reviewed? Well, somebody flags it. And it okay, gets, user. You know, you're, when you say somebody, you don't mean a YouTube employee. You mean somebody on the internet is like, whoa, this is bad flag. That's right. And then it whoa, gets sent what off. What is this? This is, this is not appropriate content. Okay. And then, you know, probably something like more than 10,000 people see it, right? Like there, there needs to be a sense okay, of. Okay, like, so it tips a little bit. I mean, that's tricky. That doesn't cover you for things like, you know, child porn, which is going to have like a really small community. That's right, which are very strict federal laws around it. Oh my it. God, right? Yeah. And it's like, but also, like, you know, just evil, right? And so if you own a platform and you take, if you have any moral responsibility, you kind of got to get that stuff stopped. You got to. Right. And so like humans need to get involved. Robots need to get involved. People need to flag stuff. And yeah. like if you start to see communities like that emerging where they're sharing that content, you got to kind of bring out the bunker buster bombs digitally. Yeah, like it's gotta, all got to come down. Yeah. yeah. You can't like, oh, we, we removed the offensive content. It's like, no, we destroyed that little village of pain. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. Do you think a world leader should be policed? I mean, God, it's a tricky one, right? Because you're basically into a zone of, I want all, I like when the, when the poison comes out in clear light. So it's like, all right, well, we, we're in a weird situation and we elected a kind of a guy that I, I can't bear, but it's fascinating to see the poison bubble up. Yeah, it is. And so I'm like, do I want that blocked? I mean, the tricky thing is like, the reason to block and to stop someone from being able to amplify their signal is because it will turn into dangerous or destructive action. And we have a very ambiguous relationship, both sort of nationally and just as humans who like freedom with that concept that like I could say something and people will do something bad as a result. Well, that's real. We don't like to talk about the fact that someone could play a video game where they shoot a lot of people and then run around and shoot a lot of people as if they were in a video game. Okay, so you're saying uh, you're, 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 I feel like you're having a debate with yourself right now. I am. At this point, I think it's too late. Like, you can't put it back in the box. So just like, let's see what the hell is happening on the Twitter feed. I mean, in a way, I feel like it's running out of steam. It is running out of steam. Right. And in fact, I'm going to lay out where I stand, not politically, but just 
like I where I everybody knows where they were when the elections happened in 16. Yeah. I was really really upset. Like I wasn't a fan frankly of anybody too much, but uh, it had been a but, poisonous. Yeah, year. but I was not happy that this knucklehead won. And there was distress. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. There were people walking the streets at like five in the morning. <laughs> it really was. I never it, saw anything. I, I've never seen anything like it. It was in some, it was like September 11th level of confusion and it, despair. It was really bad. But there was, was nothing, really bad. there was no reference. Like yeah. there was no, yeah. yeah. It, was it, it was like, there was a woman in a bathrobe at <laughs> eight in the morning walking around and her coffee mug was empty. I remember, I know, I know. I remember uh, one of my fellow parents turning to me and like with a four-year-old right there and just being like, God, you got to wonder if I should even have this kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It, they, yeah. It, it, it made people question the existence of their children. It was bananas, right? Yeah. And and so, you know, we've got fans all over the country and, and around the world. And so people had different perceptions. I'm I I'm fully acknowledging that I live in Brooklyn, New York, and that you know, there mom, is a particular reaction. My mom lives in a town called Mount Savage, Maryland, and they were over the moon. Yeah, exactly. I mean someone finally listened. What was fascinating to me right after that is like, okay, there was a lot of screwing around with the elections and and propaganda and false information and all that. And Russia. And Russia. But for the most part, there was clearly a huge chunk of America wanted this. Oh, they guy. were like, This is this is what I've been dreaming of. Yeah, and I had dinner with a friend that night and I said, you know, uh, this is how the system works. Yeah. This is how the system works. We're like, oh, this is horrible. He's going to pick Supreme Court justice. I'm like, yeah, but that's the system. That's actually the system and how it works. So I was like, you know what? I want to see this play out. I want to see where this could possibly go. I had thought that it was going to take him like a year and he would do something absolutely so insanely stupid that he would be kicked out. But, you know, I think he had good babysitters and you had a situation where we got to see this play out. Mm -hmm. What is reassuring to me is that everybody's rolling their eyes now. Even the ones that yeah. are in the middle of the country are like, oh, come on already. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. So yeah. that's promising. I, I mean, this is like outside of tech. It's very promising to me that we are seeing that. And awesome. we're seeing that beyond Brooklyn is what I'm trying to You're say. You're looking at something hundreds of years old that has some self-correcting mechanisms versus something that's like 30 years old. I always have this view when I, you know, I studied obviously, you know, the, the constitution and law school and sort of the founding structures and the federalist papers and all that. And I couldn't, you know, they trusted nobody. The founding fathers like had incredibly suspicious, cynical well, view wisely, of human beings. they didn't even trust themselves. They didn't trust you know? themselves. And, and they sort of like kept glossing yeah. around the slavery and yeah. just like, they yeah. knew that was a mess. It's they knew a, that yeah. was poison. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know what? Everybody's going to lie and cheat. How do we make sure we're just sort of staring at each other from across the room. Right. And that's the system. And so I think coming back to tech, I think it's impossible. I think we have to rely on people. And he's like, oh, government's going to have to regulate. And that sounds terrible in its own way, right? It does because we're going to screw that up in some oh, way. But, we, but let's be clear, right? A lot of the things that we love, right or left, are utterly due to government regulation. Yeah. Like Yosemite or, you know, yeah. being able to breathe. Yeah. Those yeah. are good things. I want to end this with a pitch. Okay. And it's a technology pitch. I don't get the YouTube stuff. I get very little of it. And it's partly due to how I use my computer. So the first thing I want to pitch, and I'm excited to pitch this because it's incredibly fast now, uh, is Firefox. Firefox has been around for 
12 years? Yeah. 20, 15 years? Well, I mean, it goes, it goes back even further. Oh, it's Mozilla. So yeah. it goes back it even goes, further. It's, it's the first real browser. Right, right. And it's really fast. So they did all kinds of good stuff to make it fast. But it is like extremely aggressive about your privacy. So my suggestions, it's actually hilarious. My Amazon doesn't know what to do with me, so they're 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 suggesting like football gear. Oh yeah, no and pads. I'm on Firefox too. Like nobody knows. <laughs> nobody, nobody knows, knows what's knows going what to, on. Yeah, and I keep getting really bad music on YouTube suggested. Yeah, <laughs> so everything's a mess. You're just generic now. It's really having a I'm hard gonna time. I'm going to second this endorsement. I moved everything over to Firefox. It's a little bit jankier with Google Meet, but other than that... It's it has, a lovely thing. It's just been flawless. Yes. And they did a great job. The Firefox people should be very, very proud. Like It's killer. And everybody's like, well, you know, browsers and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, well, I, I still use it for like eight hours a day. Follow up. You recommended this to me, Paul, and it's actually also amazing. It's a DNS server you set up in your house mm. called Pihole. It's PI, I think, dash hole. PI dash hole. And it's a Raspberry yeah. Pi computer. It's a $30 computer or less. Explain what this does. Yeah, so you you install, it, it runs essentially Linux, and then you install a couple layers on top of it, and you plug it into your router, right? Yep. And then there's a thing called DNS, which is sort of the phone book for the whole internet. Just don't worry about too much past that. What Pihole does is it becomes your little DNS server, and you all of your traffic routes through it, and it blocks the living hell out of ads. Like, bam. Beyond ads, though, it's really worth yeah. noting. When you load a web page today, there's all this garbage that Analytics comes along with it. Analytics and trackers. It murders It doesn't all get into the house. With, with yeah. just remorseless butchery yeah. of the entire infrastructure yep. of, like, ad tech. And I have to tell you, between... <laughs> so between that and Firefox, it is, like, 500 times faster. It's the internet, yeah. what it, like what the internet is supposed to be. Yeah, right? I know. Like, it's really good. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I guess I don't get to be part of a class action lawsuit against YouTube just for being a fascist platform. You can do anything you want, Paul. That's true. Define your class and you can do anything you want. But it's it. hard. What you're saying as a lawyer is that it's hard to define that class given the sort of like the cultural conversation about YouTube and radicalization doesn't translate to a class in a class action lawsuit. Unless you can narrow down that that class. So that's right. Essentially what we want to do then is probably elect somebody who will attack, who will go after this and put it on rails. Yeah. We, we took a big dump on technology in this episode. Well, but, that's our job. But we love technology. And we build great technology. One of the things we're good at is we think this stuff through with our clients so that they can yep. make good decisions. That's right. It's That's not right. as simple as like, we're ethical. It's it's way more like, how am I going to live in these giant platforms and what decisions am I going to make that are good for my users and good for my my stakeholders and good for my company? Yeah. Also, let's face it. I mean, I'm, we're talking about all these cool tools. It's slow. Speed is, you know, low speed. Bad speed is bad UX, right? Speed, scalability, these are all problems right now. Nobody wants to talk about speed. It's the most important thing in the world. Our company has spent so much energy trying to optimize page load when there is garbage competing with us. That's right. Especially when we're doing media work, because there's no choice. Like, this is revenue. And, like, it is an unbelievable amount of work to make a page load fast. You can do it. That's right. It's brutal. Yep. So, but we can do it for you. We can help you with all sorts of things. Build your platforms. Build your API. We are a product strategy firm that delivers great work built top to bottom, front end, back end, and design. And the other thing about us. Well, who, who are we, Paul? <laughs> this is Postlight. Uh, we're at 101 Fifth Avenue. So let's, uh, let's get back to work. Um, Ping us, hello at postlight.com. That's exactly right. We, uh, that, that email goes straight to, to me and Rich and a few other people, and we will 
look forward to your message. If you want to give us a couple, well, let's say five stars on iTunes, that would be fantastic. And uh, have a lovely week. We'll talk to everybody soon. Bye.